Good morning, Mission View. Good morning. Don't you like sun? Isn't it amazing what the sun will do in Ohio? It's like we all come out of hibernation. All of a sudden, the gloomy depression of the winter leaves us. Hopefully, it's left you. And it's, it does something to energize us as individuals. Now, speaking of energized, I know some of you were very energized last week as you were on the edge of your seats as you witnessed the great Bridini. The great Bridini who mesmerized us with his illusions, with his sleight of hand, with his stunning mental trickery. I know many of you are like me. You went home overwhelmed by all that you saw and you were trying to figure out all of those tricks. Well, this week I would like to continue such amazements, but I want you to know it's not going to be through illusions or trickery or anything like that because I am no magician, not like Brian personally, no, no siree. But what I do want to amaze you with is a simple reality that hopefully is true of every single one of us and that we realize it, and that is that Christ is the solution to the world's problems. Has anybody watched the news this week? Is the world nuts? Are things going crazy? Okay, I want you to know Christ is the solution. But So I have an illustration, though, to help you understanding this amazing point. I have on a piece of paper, just an ordinary white piece of paper, my name, Steve. Steve, it could be your name that's written here. But across the word Steve is the, 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 in red ink, this pink red ink, is sinner. So we have Steve and sinner. Now I write this on here because I want you to know how each and every one of us have come into the world. We were born in sin, and as a result, we have this sin nature, and this sin nature wants to do its own thing and wants to go against God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, when we really look at the world around us and we see everything that is occurring, please know that you see all kinds of symptoms, but at the root of it all, at the core of it all, there is one problem, and it is that we are a sinful people, and sin always defiles. Now, I want you to know that there is good news, though. Because God saw us in our condition, he saw that Steve had a sin problem. This was upon me. He knew that I had this problem. He lovingly did something for me. Romans 5.8 says he demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. I hope that that message doesn't get old with us. I hope it doesn't get old knowing that that's what he did. And so this cellophane, this red ordinary cellophane, it represents the shroud of what Christ has done. And Jesus Christ has died. His blood is available to cover our sins. Now I want you to watch. This is not an illusion. This is not trickery. This is not a mental stunt. I am going to place Steve Marshall covered in sin within the shroud, and all of a sudden, what you see is my sin is erased. All you see is Steve. You see the creation of God. Now, I know that this is kind of a simple childhood illustration, but I have a friend of mine who is a grown businessman that got saved 
from this very illustration. His name is Steve Slifko. Some of you might know Steve Slifko. Steve Slifko is a very successful businessman, and he is a profound believer. He and his wife have started PSS, Pregnancy Solutions and Services, and he's all, they've also started ICU Mobile, which we support as a church. Now, th these ministries have saved many lives. Many children have been saved from being aborted, and we also, they have also seen people come to faith in Christ. So you would look at that and say, wow, that's incredible that there has been such an influence through this individual. But long before Steve was that kind of a person, he was a businessman who had the world's gains, but he had a lost feeling within his heart. And he sat down one day across the desk of another businessman, and the businessman pulled out a card. His name was John. He pulled out a card, and he did this exact illustration. He said, Steve, I want you to know you have sin in your life. And he couldn't deny it. And he put it in the, the shroud of the, of the cellophane, and he looked at that. And for the first time, it just clicked with him what Christ had done. You see, Steve, in telling his story to me this week, refreshing me on it, he said, Steve, I grew up with a dad who told me that there are no positives in this life, that there are no absolutes anywhere in life. Everyone is out to get you. So therefore, you should doubt everything. And when Steve saw this, a couple things he couldn't deny. He couldn't deny or doubt the fact that he was a sinner. He knew it internally. He knew that he had violated God's law and went against him. He also could not deny from the historical evidence of the prophecies that were given to the resurrection of Christ that Jesus Christ actually lived. He actually died for his sins and he rose again to prove it. And on the basis of that, he began, that began a journey for him because that was the starting gun for his salvation. And he has been walking with God, and it's been the solution in his life. Now, he had a lot of old mentalities. He had a lot of ideas that took him far from God. What made the difference? Christ. What made the difference in your life? Christ. What will make the difference in a world that has gone crazy? Christ. Christ is always the solution. It's not a bumper sticker. It is a reality in life. Let's pray that God would help us understand that today. Lord, help us. Help us deep within our hearts to really see and really believe that you are the solution. Lord, help us more than ever in the world that we live in to see that you are our God and that you are the only God and that you are the only one that died for the sins of all mankind and that you proved it by raising from the grave. Help us to understand that reality and help us to see how as Christ followers we're to live out that reality and how it should change us, our mentality, our heart in our everyday life. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Christ is the solution. I think that that was the, the message that the Apostle Paul wanted the, wanted the Colossians to get a hold of. See, Pastor Brian last week pointed out that there were all kinds of 
plausible arguments. There were all kinds of philosophies that were floating around in that day that affected the Colossian church. And it was something, because it was so prevalent within the society, it started to saturate in the mentality of the believers. My friends, as Christ followers, we are, we are prone to be, uh, to be receptive to the things of this world and to the philosophies. It's just constantly berating us and it's constantly coming upon us. That's the way it was in that day. And it was, there were some emotional appeals to the things that were going on in society with Gnosticism of that day. And there was also kind of this achievement that they could have that Gnosticism taught that you could work your way to God. Now, Gnosticism was the day, it was the, was the philosophy of the day, and it was affecting the church. Now, just as a reminder, Pastor Brian shared that Gnosticism was a belief that stated that all matter was evil and that God was in the process of bringing people to spiritual perfection. Now, I want you to know that God wasn't behind this. The enemy was. And the enemy was using Gnosticism as a way to hijack the church and get it off course so that it was focused on all these other things other than on Christ. And so they believed that there was this spiritual perfection that you could achieve. I learned this week that they also believe that there are many emanations from God, like spiritual beings and things that came from God. And that's why they didn't believe that Jesus was God in the flesh, because he was just another emanation from God. He was kind of a messenger, but he wasn't God in the flesh, because flesh was evil. And so they denied the deity of Jesus Christ. And so what they did is they held to kind of a work salvation. You have to do all these things in order to be right with God. Now, in our passage today, the Apostle Paul is going to give us three of the belief systems or three of the philosophies that all stem from Gnosticism, and he's going to show how that was affecting the church. Now, I want you to know that we don't deal with Gnosticism today, but there are philosophies and cultural issues that we are wrestling with. So as we look at each one of the issues that he addresses, we're going to look at a cultural issue that you and I are dealing with right here and right now. So the first thing that he dealt with was legalism. Take a look at Colossians 2, verse 11. It says this, In him also... You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of the heart. So why in the world does all of a sudden the Apostle Paul bring up this idea of circumcision? And see, the circumcision he's talking about is not the removal of the flesh, because it says it right here. It's not like what you do to your baby after your male baby after he's been born. It's not talking about that type of circumcision. He's talking, Paul's talking about a spiritual circumcision. But here's what happened. The Gnostics were syncretistic in that they took from belief systems all over the place, and they loved aspects of Judaism. 
And they loved this aspect of circumcision that the Jews were always taught that helped them identify with the nation of Israel, which was true. But the Gnostics grabbed a hold of it and said, yes, you need to have circumcision. It's another way in which you earn your way to God to get to this place of spiritual perfection. They loved things that removed the physical flesh from the body because they said flesh is evil. And so they made it out to be something that was a way in which they worked their way to God. Now, this was starting to affect the thinking of some of those in the Colossian church. And so what does Paul do in verse 11? He starts out by saying, in him. Now, I want you to underscore that in your Bible. I want you to also know that this has been a repeated theme of the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians because he's repeating it because he wants it to sink into their heads. I guess it would be true of us. Notice how many times he says it. In chapter 1, he says, In him we have redemption. In him all things were created. In him we have the fullness of God. In him... We are to be reconciled and to walk. In chapter 2, he says, In him we are, are hidden all the treasures. In him is the fullness of deity in bodily form. In him we have been fulfilled. Do you get what he's trying to say? And now he says, In him we have been circumcised. He's like, Believers, realize the solution is always in him. You're getting your focus on all these things in this life. You're getting your focus on these philosophies that are affecting you. You're getting caught up in the, the mundane things of this life, and you're getting off focus of what is most important. It's in Him. It's in Christ. And he goes on, he says, it's not the removal of the flesh from the body. Here's the real issue. And he starts to remind them what the real issue was. In verse 11, he says, it's by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What's he talking about? He's talking about an internal removal of a heart that is wicked. That's what Christ does. It's not an external things like the Gnostics believe. What God wants to do is an internal work in each and every one of our hearts where he takes out the old heart that stinks and he puts in a new and vibrant heart where we can live for him. And he's reminding these Colossians, this is what happened to you. Remember this. It was in Christ. And then in the following verses, he reminds them of all the things that happened. He, they were baptized into Christ. Take a look at verse 12. He says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God, the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So what was Paul saying? He's saying, you guys were baptized in Christ. Now, many of these people were believers who, who had been water baptized. And it was a reminder of water baptism, what Jesus had commanded all believers to do, of what actually had happened in their life. That they had died just as Jesus had died. They died to their self. And they were raised by the power of God to a newness of life. Earlier, Justin read the passage from uh, Ephesians chapter 2. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Every, uh, every one of us were dead men walking. It was the zombie apocalypse before Christ came into our hearts. We were all dead just uh, doing our own things apart from God. 
But then God all of a sudden intervened and he did something powerful. He interjected life into you when you came and you entered into the shroud of Christ and he gave you new life. What an awesome thing. And he's reminding them of the baptism. And then he goes on. He doesn't stop there. He says, you were forgiven. Take a look at verse 13. He says, and you, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive together with him. We sang about that earlier, that we've been made alive in Christ, having forgotten, forgiven all of our trespasses, all of our sins. And what did he do specifically? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. Do you realize that our sin should put us into hell? Do you realize that our sin should eternally separate us from a holy God? It should do that. But he, in his incredible love, incredible love, he nailed it to the cross. He, stood, he set it aside. He nailed it to the cross. There is victory because he erased my sin. That's what Christ did. But he didn't stop there. He showed the victory to the spiritual world. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Do you realize that Satan does not have claim on your life anymore? He has no claim on you. You are not held by the chains of his sins or the, the sins of his, con or his control. It's your sin, but it's his control. You're no longer bound. You've been set free. And he disarmed the enemy. And he made a public spectacle of them when Christ went to the cross. What an awesome thing. And this is what Paul passionately is trying to get the Colossians to remember. This is what God has done. The solution is found in Christ. Notice what he says then in verse 16. He says, therefore, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Don't you dare. Don't you dare allow anyone to pass judgment in questioning of food and drink with regards to festivals and new moons or a Sabbath. What was he talking about? See, these were all the legalistic, the ceremonial laws that the, the Gnostics were saying, yeah, go do that. That'll help you towards spiritual perfection. You got circumcision? There you go. Check one. That good with God. Oh, yeah, you should start going by the dietary laws of the Old Testament. Yep, check two. You've done something good to earn your salvation. Oh, you should observe special days and all the celebrations. These were all ceremonial laws that they were trying to get them to go backwards. And what's ironic is this is a group of Gentiles that they were trying to get back to go to these things. And what Jesus or Paul says in verse 17 is that these are all shadows of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Reality and substance is in Christ. Who's the solution? Christ is the solution. Now let's think about our own culture. Now, we don't struggle with Gnosticism, but if you take a little letter, the letter A, and put it in front of Gnosticism, you have agnosticism. And that, my friends, is what we deal with in our culture. See, we live in a culture that is agnostic. And basically, if Gnosticism means to know, agnostic means to not know. 
that you can't know. It's a mentality that says you really can't know whether or not God really exists. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. It doesn't really matter. And as a result, a natural conclusion to an agnostic lifestyle is that you become your own God. You live as you call the shots. And we go to the, like, the, the days of the judges when everybody did what was right in their own mind. And so this is the world that we live in. Sometimes we in the church can live in a church culture, in a church bubble, and we think the rest of America is right here today where we are. I want you to know the rest of America is not listening to the Word of God today. In fact, I'm going to guess, I think statistics are proven that probably 90% of Americans are not in an evangelical church where they're going to hear the Word of God taught today. Let that sink in. 90% of Americans. Some will go to church out of religious duty, but over 90% are not in the church hearing the word of God. The rest of the people are being guided by the, the, the culture and what the culture is teaching. So how does this affect the church? David Kinnaman wrote a book called You Lost Me. It's a very sobering book. I highly recommend it. It tells about the mass exodus of the millennials from the church. That's ages 18 to 35. That would be in the millennial category. He interviewed many of those that were in church at one time. They were in Catholic church. They were in Bible churches. They were in fiery Baptist churches, Presbyterian churches. But there was, there's been a mass exodus. And this statistics is very important to me because I have someone in my life that's in that 59%. And so do you. Somebody that you know. Many of the millennials are saying that the church uh, is just filled with one-sided communication. They feel disconnected from the formulaic faith. There, there's a discomfort from an apologetics that seems to be disconnected from a real world. This is the result of David Kinnaman's research. But one positive thing that he gives is that the way that we reach this amoral society, this society that's moving further away from God, is by relationship. See, the starting point is not the existence of God, but rather the reason for their existence. And this gives opportunity for you and I to be the church 24-7 throughout the week. Please understand, in all the training institutions that we have here in America, they're not starting their day by saying, let's have a word of prayer. They're not opening up to Ephesians chapter 2 and said, let me just prepare your heart for what we're going to learn in sociology today by reading the depravity of man in, in Ephesians 2. They're not going to do that. They're going to have all kinds of crud that's going to be thrown their way. And there's an indoctrination that's, heavy ha that's happening in our world today all over the place. Please understand, that's the world we live in. And some people would say, well, why can't we just invite them to church? The fact of the matter is, majority of people in this category are not going to enter into the doors of the church. They're not going to do it. So the answer is not in the pulpit. The answer is in these shoes right here, in your shoes. It's you and I. It's living it out. It's building that relationship because we are in a fight to reach a amoral society. This isn't like it was when some of us grew up. Those of you that are over 50, there's only a handful of us. Now there's quite a few in here. But you know what? 
We, we kind of grew up thinking that there was somewhat of a resemblance of a moralistic society, but it is no more. Can I just say as a side note that this is one of the reasons that, that I have a millennial staff because there's a 59% out there that we want to reach out to. And I need to know how a millennial thinks. I want you to know I'm the last of a boomer, the baby boomers. Brian is a millennial. He and I think very differently. <laughs> very differently. There's times that I look and I just scratch my head and I'm like, what? But I tell you, I have learned to love and value my brother because I'm not going to do it by myself. There is a need for us to reach this world, young and old. Let's move on in the passage. There's the problem of mysticism, which was another offshoot of Gnosticism. Take a look at verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you. Let that sink in, disqualify you. Paul is passionate here. He's like, you guys have gotten off track. These guys have gotten you off track. And what are they insisting on? They're insisting on asceticism, which we'll talk about in a minute, and the worship of angels, which was a form of mysticism. Now take a look at what this looked like. Going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, talking about Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with growth that is from God. What is he talking about? See, Gnosticism taught that a higher reality could be channeled through an experience of angels. In other words, kind of a spirit guide in their life. And even though these believers knew that the scriptures strictly prohibited this, the Gnostics were able to convince some of them to chase after the experience. And in this, they had visions that made contact with what they thought was angels and it became an experience that was a trophy amongst other so-called believers within the church and Paul's saying listen you've become puffed up without reason you've lost your heads man you're not thinking remember the elephant and the writer that Brian talked about so true they were allowing themselves to be ruled by their emotions what made sense what made them feel good in the experience and he says, but you've lost contact with the head talking about Christ because it's only through Christ in which we truly grow. In other words, he's saying, who's the solution? Christ is the solution. Christ is the solution. So what about us today? What are some other cultural things that we go through? Well, I believe just as Gnosticism produced many other problems, we see that an amoral society or a society that's growing distant from God is producing a greater division within America. We see that. We see that. And Jesus actually even predicted it. Jesus made this statement. He said, every kingdom divided against itself will, will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. Jesus also said that as the end approached, that nations will rise up against nations. The word nation is where the Greek word ethnos, which, which is where we get our word ethnic. In other words, there would be race wars that would take on, take place as, as we approach the end. You see, as a result of sin, 
we see division increasing in our world, don't we? See these images this week? See what was, what's happening all over the United States? What's going on? We see it in social economics where the mantra is re income redistribution. Really behind the veil of it all is greed. That's the motive. If the voice of reason were to speak up, if someone were to say, hey, you know what? If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. That person would be written off as hard-hearted and insensitive. And yet this is exactly the instruction that we get from the Apostle Paul. This is the world we live in. Tied up with social economics is the growing racial tensions that we see in our world. It seems that this is a normal occurrence on a regular basis. This week it was Baltimore. Not long ago it was Ferguson. And there's been all kinds of instances in between. These racial tensions are not one-sided. They are, as a result, they are, as a result, creating a growing chasm in our culture, in our country. And my friends, the church isn't immune to it either. We have division within the church. The enemy is trying to work hard to divide. So what is the solution? What's the solution? Well, let me tell you what the solution is not. The answer is not politics. Oh, certainly I would love for believers to infiltrate the political world and for them to actually be honest and upright and have people be, be people of integrity. But the fact is, is we cannot legislate morality, nor can we legislate the morale of people. What is the answer? I know this sounds simplistic, but the answer is Christ lived out through the local church. 1 Timothy 3, Paul says that the church is a beacon of truth in the society by which we live. And my friends, that's why the church cannot exist within the four walls of this church. If you think that coming on Sunday morning is church, you're wrong. This is the rally point. The church is what happens all throughout the week. It's when we meet people and we show the love of Christ. And my friends, it's going to take a greater responsibility of churches saying, what does God want to do in our city? And for us to pour more resources into our city. And it will cause us to readjust our priorities. But the bottom line is, Christ is the answer. Now let's move on to the last problem. The last problem was asceticism. So some of you are like, what in the world is asceticism? This was something that the Gnostics were teaching. It was basically a belief that said self-denial puts one on a higher plane of spirituality. Notice what Paul says as he addresses the believers in verse 20 and 23. He says, if Christ if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, in other words, the things of this world, why as if you are still alive in the world? Why are you going by the world's values? Do not submit to its regulations. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to the things that all perish that they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism 
and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul's basically saying, hey, church, hey, church, why are you following the rules of this world? When the world says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, you're giving you regulations that God doesn't give you. They're trying to submit you to man-made rules that look good on the outside, but you shouldn't be doing that. And inadvertently, what Paul is doing is saying, Christ is the solution. He freed you. He set you free. So how does this apply in our world? What's another issue? Another issue that I think is staring us straight in the face as a church is as we live in this growing, non-moral society is how we react to the LGBTQ as the new normal. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Some of you are older and don't know what those letters mean. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning. And I would say that the Apostle Paul would say to us, don't follow the rules of this world. And the rules are being dictated in every way, on television, everywhere. It's being made very clear everywhere. You're an absolute idiot and moron if you don't submit to this philosophy. And just as the Colossian believers had a system that was forced upon them, we live in that world as well. And we don't have to look far. You can look at TV and media. It's, uh, this week I was doing lots of research. This was a kid's site to help people, kids, children understand what it, it's all about and how it's evil to speak against. And I'll address how we do this in a minute. But I want you to know there's a greater culture that is saying you can do whatever you want. It's almost the opposite of asceticism where before it was don't handle, don't taste, do, don't touch. Now it's do handle, do taste, do touch, do whatever you want. It doesn't matter whatever mix, whatever variation, it doesn't matter. This is what you are to do. And here's what's happening. As a result of this, even in the church, there is a great sexual confusion amongst our teenagers of who they are and how they've been created. There is a greater sexual confusion, things that we deal more and more with in the counseling room, in the church. And I don't say that in a condemning way. I just say it, it's a byproduct of us living in the world that we live in. On our high, our high school campuses right now are exploding with every letter within this community. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and questioning. This mentality is minimizing gender differences, and in the name of relevance, many churches are and will embrace this, especially if the Supreme Court lands on the side of redefining marriage. In a recent conference, presidential candidate Hillary Clinton warns of what she thinks must happen in our country in changing the mentality in wanting everybody to accept this as a new norm, she states. And deep-seated cultural codes, religious beliefs, and structural biases have to be changed. Many feel that churches that refuse to honor same-sex marriages will have their tax-exempt status and removed. That's our culture. That's our world. 
So how do we deal with this? Let me give you some practical things, and it might not be what you think, but hear me out. Here's how we react. Here's how, here's how we act as a church. The first thing is we don't react. We don't react. Some Christians want to draw up militant lines in regards to what is happening in our courts and what's happening in our societies. Some want to jump in and say publicly on Facebook and Twitter and other social media that the Bible says this, and they proceed to pounce on people that they don't know and don't even really care about what God's Word says. And inadvertently, we make enemies with people without ever having a chance to show the love of Christ and our concerns for individuals. As a church, we have done ourselves an injustice and an disservice by raising homosexuality as the end-all, be-all of all sins in our society. It's one of many. It is sin. So is drunkenness. So is... uh, uh, swindlers so is male prostitutes so is and i'm giving the uh, the list that the apostle paul gave number two what we're to do is we're to love that's what we're to do we are to love and we are to welcome all people now hear what i have to say a person is not defined by their sin, but rather by the fact that they are a creation of God. We want to teach God's word and do so without compromise, and we will do that. We will call sin, sin, and whatever God says is sin, we will do with that. But it's how we approach people. Remember the example that Jesus gave to the woman in John 8 who was brought out to be stoned. She was caught in what? Adultery. Well, in modern day time, this might be a homosexual. It could be a lesbian. It could be a transgender. And everybody can be up there ready to stone, ready to stone. And if Jesus had the mentality of some of us, he would say, stone the tramp because she's an adulteress. But that's not how Jesus showed love. He showed an unusual love. And that unusual love led her to a place of faith in Christ. Here's the third thing. We can't change people's sexuality before we change their heart, their soul. Christians have gained a reputation of judgment first and not taking people to the solution. A couple years ago, I had a lady who was a friend of mine that I built a relationship from the community, and she was a lesbian. And she had heard that Pastor Marshall had something against her. And so I saw her and I said, hey, I'd love to talk about it. Because whatever you heard, what I heard, hey, it's not true. And so she came in and we talked in my office. And I asked her to share her story. And we didn't really talk about her being a lesbian. We talked about all the pain in her life. One failed relationship after another. And I said, do you want to know what God has to say about relationships? She says, yeah. I said, well, let's go through the book of John together. And so for the next three months, we sat down almost every other week going through the book of John. And you know, not once did we talk about lesbianism. We didn't talk about alternate lifestyle. We didn't talk about any of that stuff. But we did talk about the issues of the heart. And because she knew I loved her as a person, at the very end, she came to the conclusion that she needed Christ as her Savior. Now, not every counseling time ends that way. This was a success. And it is interesting, at the end, she says, I should probably give up my relationship that I'm in. 
I'm like, why do you say that? She goes, I just know it's wrong. I didn't tell her that. God's word told her. God's spirit told her because he was at work in her heart and he was trying to correct and help her through the things that she was going through. But my friends, I would have never had that opportunity if I would have had a front of condemnation in advance. As your pastor, my desire is that our church will be filled with the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the idolaters, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanders, swindlers, and guess what? Some of them are already here. But I wish for 1 Corinthians to be true, and that, is, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Justin and the worship team now are going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song called This I Believe. Now, this song, This I Believe, is kind of a theological song reminding us of our creed, of what we hold to. We need to hold this with our mind, with our heart. But interjected in that, I want to have prayer in three ways. I want to pray that the church would have wisdom in navigating our way through this current culture. Number two, that the church be loving in our presentation to man's problems. And then specifically that we pray for friends or family members that are caught in the trappings of this world. Think about that.